Did your favorite NFL team win the Super Bowl? No? Then the NFL Draft is your Super Bowl. I'm Danny Heifetz, and from now until the draft, we are turning our fantasy football show feed into the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we talk about the top players and most important storylines for the NFL Draft. So join us on the Ringer NFL Draft Show. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. It is Thursday, March 23rd. It's rare when an entire TV network and streaming service come up for sale. The media conglomerates that own these things have tended to hang on to them, try to add more during the heyday of the cable bundle. But a couple weeks ago, Paramount Global, the media company owned by Sherry Redstone, announced that it is willing to sell a majority stake in BET Media. That's the BET cable network, which caters to black audiences with shows like Tyler Perry's House of Pain and reruns of Family Matters. Sister station VH1, which I grew up with watching Behind the Music and a bunch of other shows. And it now runs a ton of African-American fronted shows like Nick Cannon's Wild and Out, as well as BET Plus, the streaming service that many see as the future of that brand. It's got shows like The Oval and Assisted Living, again, from Tyler Perry, got BET Studios, the production arm. The sale announcement set off a little mini frenzy among black media moguls. We instantly saw overtures from Tyler Perry who actually already owns a stake in the network thanks to his deal to produce shows there, Diddy, who has his own empire with the Revolt Network, and Byron Allen, who owns the Weather Channel and some TV stations. There's also another Black-owned media company called Group Black. They're in the mix. So will one of these guys get BET and return it to Black ownership after two decades with Viacom and now Paramount? And at what price? Viacom actually paid $2.3 billion for the network back in 2000. It assumed $570 million in debt. But that was a very different time in cable television. CNBC recently estimated that BET now generates about $1.2 billion in revenue a year. And we don't actually know how many subscribers BET Plus has. We know that Paramount had about 56 million subscribers to Paramount Plus as of the end of last year, and another 21 million subscribers to its smaller services. But that includes Showtime and BET Plus. We also know that Sherry Redstone turned down a $3 billion offer for Showtime alone recently. BET would be a bit of a rebuild project. It's never really gotten the attention that it probably deserves from its owner. 
Eric Deggins, the TV critic for NPR, recently told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that BET has yet to fulfill its promise to be a leading platform for Black-centered media. That's always been the hope for BET, he said. It would be wonderful to see someone acquire it who can do that. But who? Can someone rescue BET? Today, I asked my Puck colleague, Julie Alexander, to come on the show. She's been on before. She's also an analyst at Parrot Analytics, and she wrote a piece this week on why it makes sense for BET to be in the hands of an independent owner, or at least not the current one. We're going to get into that, whether independent cable networks are a real business anymore, and the future of BET. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Julia Alexander, who, in addition to being a contributor at Puck, where I work, she is an analyst at Parrot Analytics, which looks at the data behind the streaming industry. First of all, welcome. Thank you. You wrote an interesting piece this week, sort of laying out the argument for why Paramount Global is selling BET and why it might make sense for someone that is not attached to a massive international media conglomerate to buy BET. So give us the bullet points on why this is happening, why it's up for sale, and why people are coming out of the woodwork to say they are interested. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, too, in conjunction with the Showtime David Nevins attempt to take that out of Paramount and why that's the one I thought they would do or they should do. Right. It's like three billion dollars for Showtime. Like, yes, please. They could put that money back into Paramount Plus content. The Showtime brand is it means something. But I don't think in the future of streaming, Showtime is going to be the difference maker if all the content and, you know, the the premium stuff can just go on Paramount Plus. I know they have the money that comes in from the cable providers still, but that made a lot of sense to me. BET does too to me, but I guess maybe on a smaller scale, explain it. Yeah. So I think even if Showtime does not feel as differentiated as Paramount executives might want it to be, you can see the argument on their side for having a premium base to kind of build upon within Paramount Plus, the way that HBO Max is HBO. Um, but I would say when you look at BET, which was a strong linear component of the Viacom brand, but when you look at what Paramount Global needs, and it really needs to invest in the type of content that is going to grow a, uh, amongst its foundational base and then grow so the total addressable market is much wider than what it currently is, BET is a really interesting product that doesn't necessarily fit within the margins that they're looking for. But if you look at the type of positioning that BET and the potential for Black audiences uh, to really grow as an individual product that is not restrained by being under a, a corporate you know, conglomerate that has to look at other factors of its business and really has the ability to kind of create more of a flywheel effect by branching out into film and branching out into more uh, experiences and branching out into a, a very, very specific type of company. BET under the right owner could actually become a really strong company of tomorrow. Like how though? Like give us an example of some of, of a comp for BET, because I agree that Paramount or Viacom has never really prioritized or invested in BET as it probably should have to grow it as a brand. It was just sort of lumped in as a demo point for advertisers who wanted to reach a broad spectrum of people via the Viacom cable networks. If you wanted young people, you went to MTV. If you wanted, you know, older female oriented, you went to VH1. If you wanted black audiences, you went to BET. 
that's all going away as the cable bundle atrophies here. And it's not really being replicated, at least not effectively, in the streaming bundle. We don't know how many subscribers BET Plus has. We I've seen some estimates that say it probably only has between 4 and 7 million subscribers, which is not nothing, but it's not huge scale when you're Paramount Global and you're looking at the Paramount Plus service, which has over 50 million subscribers now. So it starts to be a question of what value does this asset bring to a massive conglomerate versus what could somebody else do with this? And BET is a powerful brand, especially in the black community. It could be more. It could be bigger. And I think that's what people like Tyler Perry and Byron Allen and Diddy are seeing here. That is, it can be a, um, I don't want to say a pillar, but it could be a galvanizing point for a community that generates significant, significantly more revenue on its own than within a conglomerate. Yeah, the comparison that I always like to look to for cases like this, and it's a very specific comparison, is um, a company called Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll Crunchyroll has 10 million subscribers. It is a very, very popular anime distributor streaming service in the United States. It operates globally, um, but it's it's really well known here. Sony purchased it from AT&T back in 2020, I think, for like close to $1.2 billion. Um, And... As its own type of company, the advantage that Crunchyroll has is kind of twofold. One, it's very authentic to a growing fan base. Um, And two, it can tie into a bunch of flywheel properties to really create this business that grows in different segments. And grows upon each other. I mean, it, it it can, one division can help the other and vice versa. Right. So, I mean, the the Disney scenario is kind of the ideal way to look at it. But if we look at the authenticity factor, anime, which is, according to a lot of different market research firms, is going to surpass, you know, $40 billion in annual revenue by 2028. It is one of the fastest growing niche uh, genres that we can really think about. It is one. It's incredibly young. And that community is incredibly rabid in the sense that they will buy merchandise. They will go out to see something in cinemas. They will then subscribe to a streaming service to watch new television shows whatever it might be. And so Crunchyroll, what they do through the authentic ability to tie into Japanese production houses where Netflix is really trying to get into here, but Crunchyroll maintains the largest relationships. They're able to kind of bring next day programming over to the United States, which is a big deal and helps to cut down on piracy within a, a world where people are willing to spend if they can get access to it. And then they can take some of these shows, you know, they take like two episodes of a show called Demon Slayer. They put it in theaters, they make 10, 11 million dollars off of it, as opposed to just putting it on a streaming service and maybe not seeing the same level of revenue. And it costs them basically nothing, but it creates this kind kind of event tenfold factor uh, within the community. And this really lends itself to then creating additional merch. You see that flywheel yeah, yeah, effect. Yeah. If, we, if we apply that to BET, if they're able to kind of, you know, think of a Tyler Perry, if he's able to create more, let's think of Medea, right? If he's going to go into a cross-platform area with Medea, if he's got the ability to work with more Black creators and really ensure that they can have more information on the data on the back end, that they're getting more back-end revenue, whatever it might be, then he can score some of the best projects. And what Black audiences are looking for is quality entertainment. This is why you saw companies like Stars pivot to creating quality entertainment in 2011, 2012, and really focusing on that. They created the Power franchise. Power, a million power shows. Just keep doing them. 50 Cent, going to cash those checks. 
Exactly. And, but it really helped them find that audience. And, you know, when we look at the data power, the power franchise represents close to 25% of all demand for the stars catalog. Right. So it was like, it it really worked for what they were trying to do. And you think about BET, if they can control and invest further in the marketing spend, if they can control and invest further in the content spend, and it's not just an aspect of a conglomerate that is really ignored to focus on Yellowstone or to focus on a Dexter reboot or whatever it might be. Um, it really, really gives them the ability to go out and create this foundational company for a growing community of audiences that are looking for more entertainment options. The challenge, of course, is that most of the revenue from BET comes from the cable bundle. That is going away, as we know, and the streaming service is relatively small. It will take investment to make this a going concern. There aren't that many independent cable companies out there. I mean, I look at one would be like the Hallmark Channel, which is not owned by any of the big conglomerates, and it seems to do okay. Uh, Transitioning Hallmark into streaming, however, they're going with Peacock. Hallmark has a deal with Peacock to put their, their stuff there. So, you know, it's not like they feel they're strong enough to have their own streaming brand. And Paramount has said that they would like to maintain a business relationship with whoever buys BET. So we could see a scenario where somebody else owns BET plus, but it becomes a tile on Paramount plus for an upcharge or for free or whatever it does there. And that's similar to what I've heard was the plan for Showtime. When the people, you know, it was David Nevins who was trying to buy Showtime, the former head of Showtime with a private equity fund. And their plan, I was told, is that, yeah, it would live on its own as a streaming service, but potentially Showtime would be a partner for some of these global companies that wanted to plug in a premium outlet. And they didn't want to do it on their own, but maybe in certain markets, it would be Netflix plus Showtime, or it would be Disney plus Showtime or something like that, where it could sort of be a free agent streaming service. And I think the opportunity for BET is pretty strong there because it is differentiated. This is programming that a lot of the streaming services do not do very well. And it's an audience that that um, they're not specialized in. And BET is potentially that plug-in streaming service that you could see as an add-on to a Netflix or a Disney or HBO Max or one of these in different markets. You agree there? Yeah, and I think it's where they were always looking to head. It was to be an additional aspect of a growing streaming audience, right? But you can't, the, the, there's a limit on that if it's just Paramount, if you're owned by Paramount, right? Right. And well, that's the thing. The, I think if you remove the limitation, you get the ultimate freedom to do a bunch of different options. So there's the ability to create dedicated fast channels with Pluto TV. Free, with free supported channels like Pluto. Exactly. And where these a lot, where a lot of these companies, if you look at fast, they, they carry the exact same programming, but where they're trying to differentiate is which audience demographics they target. And so if you can target really strong, you know, entertainment, uh, Black-focused entertainment from really well-known creators, and that increases the ad 
ad revenue for all these companies, then when you're figuring out that negotiation, your content is much more valuable to some of these fast platforms. So as the content supplier going in, you can charge much more, but you don't just stop there, right? The advantage to kind of being this independently owned company is you can make as many deals as you want in an area where sure, let's we content spend uh, is not necessarily declining, but it is evening out uh, at some of the bigger buyers, but they do still want to serve many of these diff- uh, these audiences, especially within the Black community and especially within the United States, but also globally. And so you will see a lot of those deals come in where these buyers are willing to spend a little bit more money to have access to the best talent and have access to the best shows. And at the same time, while they're making those deals in order to ensure that revenue is really strong, they can invest in those different flywheel properties to really ensure that the brand continues to grow and that attention is clearly focused on BET across all different spectrums, whether it is theatrical, whether it is television, whether it's gaming, whether it's whatever it might be, they can be in spaces with an increased investment, both in attention and literal money uh, than Paramount was ever going to be. And that Paramount could not allow itself to do. Right. Money is the key thing there. Yeah. It's going to require money. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. I've heard that Byron Allen has been talking to different banks. Um, It's unclear how much money of his own he wants to put into this deal. Uh, All of these guys, let's go through and game it out here because depending, I, I never trust any of those, you know, Forbes lists or any of the rankers on how rich people are. It's interesting though. The, those sites say that these guys are all, almost billionaires or just barely billionaires. Um, I have a feeling Tyler Perry and Byron Allen are probably a lot richer than these things uh, give them credit. Byron Allen just bought a $100 million property in Malibu, and Tyler Perry has a studio of his own in Atlanta. Um, I think they can afford to put together a deal for this, but let's game it out. Who do you think is the more likely acquirer here? Uh, my money's on Tyler Perry. I think this guy has shown in the past that when he wants something, he goes after it and does it. He was the first to put his name out there. He, This is kind of the missing link in his entire kingdom. He's got the production. He's got the 
output deal, um, but he does not have a distribution platform of his own. And this could be it. Yeah, I would say Tyler Perry as well. Not only, and and from a backing perspective, he has proven time and time again that he can operate on, let's say, not necessarily low budget, but he can operate on limited budget and kind of produce three, four times the multiples on it, which is if you're backing someone, that's what you're interested in. He also has the very strong talent relations. He's the he's the person where if you are a black creator and you like, let's say you're Kenya Barris or whoever you might be, and you want to work with Tyler Perry, you want you know him, you trust him, and and you're gonna you know the way that a lot of directors look at Jason Blum, right? And it's like they they have this relationship. This is an industry, as Matt, you know better than anyone, is built on relationships. And so the ability for Tyler Perry to come in and say we're going to distribute, but also I am you know an artist. I'm someone who has this business side, but I understand what you're looking for in this ever-changing space as well. I want to make sure that we're all working kind of together to produce something. Having the best content, I mean, this is still a hit business. Having the strongest level of hits at a very accessible price point, and then being able to carry that again across all these different versions of meeting fans where they are, where their attention is being held, whether that's short form digital, whether that is, again, theatrical, television, whatever it might be, Perry's just the best oriented for it. Like Diddy has the digital uh, uh, expertise in that area. Like he understands what he's doing there, but I just don't know if he has the experience, the knowledge or the, the want to really run a business like that, as opposed to just owning it and putting it in as part of his, you know, his empire. I'm Medea, damn it. That's the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Come work with me. I'm Medea, damn it. Um, yeah. Byron Allen is an interesting one too, because he actually is already in the distribution business. He has the weather channel and he owns a bunch of television networks as well, uh, stations. And he has had this interesting career where he started as a television personality was a late night host comedian and he turned himself into a mogul and i think that he you know if he wants it i've heard some mixed things on his ability or his willingness to put a lot of money into this but if he does want it it would be a formidable bid i think and I do think we're in this moment where even as the level of buying kind of levels out, you've got a lot of these mid-tier companies that are coming out that have really impressive people attached to it, running it, that have really impressive ideas for how they want to turn it into the business of tomorrow. You know, I think about what Kevin Mayer is doing over with his, with Candle. I think about what Peter Chernin's doing. And they're kind of these middlemen that are operating as like, we're going to buy some of the content. We're going to sell it off. And I think if you have this idea of how you're going to operate BET as a place of like, we're going to buy content, but we're also going to figure out how we're going to license out some of our content to really grow the total addressable market, to really grow the fan fervor that we want to then rely on for additional business maneuvers. Having someone like Tyler Perry in that space, to me, I think just has the most promise. Um, but I, I'm very interested to see, you know, where they go with it, whoever ends up buying it. And I'm also very keen to see, Matt, I just want to say how Sherry Redstone responds to this. If it ends up being a really successful venture outside of it, and, and it's kind of the best value that Paramount's going to get for it. Paramount Global, you talk to anyone in the investment banking community, is someone that should probably start selling a lot of its properties. Well, for, I don't want to say for scraps, but th there's probably an argument that in three, four years, they should look at not necessarily trying to sell it all as one giant conglomerate when people aren't or other companies aren't as interested in that. So I do think BET will be an interesting kind of standpoint for them to watch how that a sale like that could go. Yeah. I mean, Sherry has so far resisted what many believe um, should be a fire sale. And 
I think she has held on to this wish that at some point the market will return and her company will be attractive to a big ticket buyer to come in and buy the whole thing. Now, we know the studio has value. Paramount has a lot of value. We know that Paramount Plus has done a lot to build up its subscriber base. And that unit is in a much better place than it was even two years ago. Um, thanks to Taylor Sheridan for a lot of that. And we know they have these cable networks that are dying on the vine. And they have been impacted more than almost anyone else because their cable networks were targeting younger viewers. So it's a tough spot for them right now. And this will, I agree with you, be an interesting pivot point. If they can get a few billion dollars for BET, they're going to have to look at, because the whole company is worth 14, 15 billion right now. And if they can get a big price for BET, then why don't they just start selling off the assets? And I know it would be tough for Sherry to dismantle the family empire like that. But at some point, and she can do what she wants. She's a controlling shareholder. She is not beholden to proxy fights or anything like that. Um, but at some point, it would make sense to at least consider some of this stuff and maybe even returning to the idea of selling Showtime, even though they have come out and said that they are absolutely not doing that. Well, I mean, then how are you going to get your billion spin off? If they don't, <laughs> if they sell off Showtime. <laughs> Holding out. Maybe they hold out till just after they've done two or three more billions shows and Dexter versus billions. Yeah, that's just what we need, I think, for humanity is like six billion spinoffs. Yeah. And then and then we'll be good. But ultimately, the, the upshot here on BET is they are making the bet, Paramount, is that the money they're going to get from selling BET and VH1 in the studio is going to offset any of the downside that they lose from losing control of the brands. And, you know, someone may come in here and take it off their hands. And then in five years, we're talking about the rebirth of BET and how valuable it is now. And that may make Sherry Redstone and Bob Backish look bad in retrospect. Uh, but I think they've kind of thrown up their hands and said, this is all we can do. Given our financial constraints right now, this is all we can do with this brand. Um, someone else can make a better use of it. And I, and I actually don't necessarily know if if BET ends up being incredibly successful outside of Paramount. I don't even know if it makes them look bad. I think it's just understanding that there are constraints with running a company like Paramount Global that does not allow certain companies or certain brands to thrive in a way that they can if they're independent. Just like there are certain independent companies that work better under a conglomerate. You can look at like a Lucasfilm, arguably, or, or Marvel Studios, right? And it just, it works better under kind of a Disney controller. It has been, I should say, for the last little bit. Now it's a, it's a little bit more up in the air. Um, but I think if it works, it's kind of this there, I, I don't think it reflects poorly on them. I think it's just, okay, we have to take our bets on where we're going. And every single conversation happening across across every single company is how do we better you know, optimize our portfolio? How do we better optimize our content the most efficient rate possible? And, and if you're a Warner Brothers Discovery, if you're a Paramount, you're paying down your principal debt. Like that's a, a big concern for you as well. But even the even like Netflix and Disney, they're kind of looking at, well, what's the best way to ensure that we're making the most and we're not just holding on to things we don't need to hold on to. And I think BET might fall under that which is, it's a great brand. And I think under someone like a Tyler Perry, it can be a really lucrative business that it just was never, could never be under Paramount the way that Paramount needs to operate over the next few years. And, and I don't think that makes them a sore winner in any way. I think it just is, is a great example of the reality of the current situation that we're in. Yeah. Um, 
what do you think the price is going to be? If the offer six ninety nine, uh, no, 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 not not consumer price. What do you think the price <laughs> to buy BET is going to be? I was like, how much would I pay for if BET? Showtime? Um, if the Showtime offer was three billion, do you think it's more or less than that? Less, less than that. I think it's less, but I am also not uh, a, a banker. I, like I am not working yeah. on the M and A, but I, I think it's I th- I think it would be. I have no less idea. Less than that. I, I, I tend to agree with you, but the CNBC reported that it was one point two billion dollars in annual revenue. And if you try start doing the multiples on what's the sale price going to be, I, I don't know. I have no idea what it's going to be. I'm also just thinking about the last time that we got Showtime numbers before they started looping everything in under streaming. Showtime was sitting at like eleven or twelve million domestic, and I and and I and I can't remember if that was just streaming, but I just feel like Showtime had more of an awareness. There's more of a value to those shows, but I think BET might have the more valuable audience. And so you can make the argument that it's worth more than Showtime, but I, I still think it would be just under, maybe on par. Hmm. All right, we will see. They don't, they're not taking bids yet. That'll come in the next few weeks, apparently. But we will see what happens with BET. Thank you, Julia. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, are you a John Wick guy? I'm a huge John Wick guy. I really? Think it's the best, I think it's the best action franchise right now. Interesting. God, this is just a franchise that has passed me by. I don't know why. I like Keanu. I, I think John Wick has the most inventive action sequences of any action franchise in the last decade. People love him. And it's like witty and he's cool. And I don't know. I, 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 should, I would probably love the movies if I got into them. Uh, yeah, I think it's great that it like feels fresh and new. It's not based on some like, I don't think at least based on some old IP. I believe this is like based on a comic book that was written in like 2017. So I, I just, it's just fresh and new. It has a very unique perspective. It, it's it's all has an interesting like look to it. You can always tell when it's a John Wick movie. Uh, the action sequences are very different, I think, than like a traditional Mission Impossible. I just think it's really unique and and good. I love that the whole thing is based on the fact that somebody killed his dog. Yeah. I mean, what what more motivation does a person need? <laughs> Seriously, it's great. Um, all right. So the tracking on John Wick 4 is at about $65, $70 million for the opening weekend. Um, the last John Wick, John Wick 3 in 2019, opened to just $56.8 million. Not just. That was a good opening. And the overall worldwide box office for that one was three uh, $328 million. What time of year was that when it came Best out? Best of the series. I believe it was May. I think it opened, uh, rolled out at different parts, different times in different markets. But I believe it was uh, between May and June was most of the openings. This one's a little earlier. But uh, the goodwill from the last one, I think, is going to carry this one. And the reviews are really good. It's in the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes. People saying it's great. It's got a two-hour, 49-minute running time, which is not great for that doesn't matter nowadays everybody every movie i know three i know hours now. but it does when you get up that high it does start to limit showings i'm still going to take the over i think this thing is going to overperform and the demand and the goodwill from the last movie and the the rating the uh, reviews are going to take this over 65 70 million yeah this movie in 2019 john wick 3 came out three weeks after avengers endgame so i wonder mm-hmm. if that also affected it there's nothing going on right now in theaters especially for adults i know are you going to go this weekend no, I'm out of town this weekend, but I think I'm going to go next weekend. I'll, I'll see it in theaters with uh, with some friends. Can I see John Wick 4 without having seen any of the others? Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I I guess Halle Berry was in the other last one, but she's not in this one. It's really good. I'm telling you, it's really good. All right. That is the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Julie Alexander. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck, and I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow. 
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.